Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics, right here on Blog Talk Radio. to Voice of Olympus. I'm Hercules Invictus, and today is our optimal wellness special with a lot of sword and sandal uh, and peplum uh, thrown in. Our first segment, The Age of Heroes, features Astrid, uh, who's bringing a lot of positivity and helping to bring about change in Sussex County here in New Jersey. And tonight we'll be looking at optimal wellness and also introducing a new show. Greetings and welcome, Astrid. How are you? Greetings, Hercules. Doing quite well. And you? I'm doing quite well uh, as well. Had my uh, annual physical exam uh, recently. And uh, uh, other than my sugar being higher than it should and some associated things, uh, all was well. So now I need to make lifestyle changes to get my sugar back under control. There we go. It's always a matter of doing research, and, and as you yes. say, and I say, communication and being proactive is the thing. You just cannot take um, doctor's information and, and medication at, at, at the face value. Look into it. You know, there are people you can talk to that are being treated for the same thing. We do have the Internet with Google, which is amazing. You just have to cross-reference to make sure you're getting um, newsworthy information that is applicable to your health and not cause more problems. Oh, very, very uh, true. And uh, uh, it's uh, difficult now with the age of information, with all this information, because uh, it conflicts. <laughs> and mm. uh, both 
sides accuse each other of uh, not being truthful with you, and both of them base their statements on different studies. Uh, oh, just fact, like politics. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like, for instance, uh, as, as a diabetic, um, I need to uh, be careful of what I eat to control my blood sugar. Uh, so there's two camps. There's the plants only people, uh, would say you don't need any animal uh, protein. Uh, and then there's the uh, uh, ketosis uh, crowd, uh, which are saying basically you don't need any carbohydrates. So I'm sure the truth lies somewhere in between. Uh, but uh, yes, and you know, Hercules, the, the most important thing is you have to find out what works well for you. That's for why me, you yeah. have to take in the wealth of information, and what works for one person doesn't work for the next. So it's no. a trial and error, and and you just can't take uh, what works for one person as gospel in terms of you. Like I had a friend that would constantly say, yoga, 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 do this, do, do, do this, do that. And I found throughout my whole entire lifetime, I've had to do weight training. And whether Me it too. is um, the lighter weights for certain parts of the body and then the heavier weights for others. And then I would also split my workout. I mean, there are different things you have to do. And as your body changes, so does your workout and your eating. So does routine. Workout. <laughs> oh yeah. So it's constant. Later on tonight, we have Bill uh, Hinburn and he's uh, uh, the founder and I guess CEO of super strength uh, training, which is like retro bodybuilding, like bodybuilding mm. from back in the day. And right. uh, he says that, too. He says that, uh, you know, basically different things will work with you at different times. Uh, but uh, th there is no answer. You have to find your own answer, and it changes. <laughs> so, definitely, definitely. Same, same That's right. It's good to get the information. You never poo-poo something because you don't know. You have to just put it all side by side and then just look at your own unique situation. Now, you know I love to talk about the four elements. And, yes, uh, you do. <laughs> and tonight, I'd like to talk a little bit about them. In okay. doing the, the research, Hercules, there was so much to look at. So I thought it would be a good thing to divide it up into okay. things that we, that we can personally control in, in, in this podcast. And uh, this Wednesday, I'd like to talk about things that we have very uh, a lot of difficulty having any control over, but what you can do to help the situation out. Sounds like a plan. Yeah, so we'll start off with our elements, and whether we make it, because the original plan was to uh, discuss um, organic versus um, uh, our regular food that's grown here, there, and everywhere, and uh, uh -huh. the food that you have to really monitor due to the risks uh, of pesticides and, and other things, and, uh, and then also the uh, big pharma versus uh, alternative methods. I have right. a feeling we're not going to get to that last one that's, and may need okay. an entire you know, entire one for that by itself. So okay. we'll proceed and we'll see how we do time-wise. Awesome. That's a plan. So let's start with water. That's the life force. It transports nutrients to the cells. It provides the body with essential minerals, electrolytes. It helps our kidneys. It prevents kidney stones. It, it, 90%, I think 70% of our muscles are made of water. It regulates your body temperature. Uh, besides the muscles being like 70 to 75%, they said 22% of your bones 
are made of water. 75% of your tissues are made with water. 92% of your blood contains water. And get this, 75% of your brain contains water. Wow. That just blew me away, you know, that, that we have that much in each area. Now, we're told we're bodies of water, just like our planet, but we never realize how much is in each individual section of our body. No. So there we go. You know, it's the lifeline, and we definitely have to uh, hydrate. There's no two ways about it. And uh, in the winter as well, not just the summer, because we have all of this heating going on in our homes, and, and we, we, we fail to realize that our skin, which is our largest organ, is depletes uh, fluids as well. So we need to constantly hydrate. And for that reason, it is so important to look at the source of your water and contaminants. And I'm not going to go into the EPA and the, um, the the looking of rolling back the Clean Water Act. We will discuss that uh, this one. Yes, because that governs the integrity of the water we get. But you do have to look at guard against pollutants in your water. And uh, you know you have your tap water, which comes from your sink. Or well water, if you're in situation in a rural area like up here in Sussex County, and then you have the bottled water. Most people have transferred over to bottled water because they feel it's a convenient and b safer than the tap. And if you live in in parts of Newark, most definitely you're drinking the bottled water, and you're also um, investing in filters. So um, there's a lot to be said about your source of water. And testing is a good thing, irregardless of where you live. Like we have a well, we test our well, you know, every year or two because the um, rainfall and the groundwater affects the well. And then you have your different veins uh, uh, within the well, you know, in the ground that affects the what's the natural minerals in the water. So we constantly test, you know, for minerals and checking to see if there's. Uh, any issue in terms of hard water. Uh, we have hard water up here rather than some areas that have soft water. Hard water has more mineral content. So it's very easy if you have a well or if you have a tap and you want to test it, it's an idea. It's something you know you should think about uh, because it is so vital to every organ and, and every part of our body. Um, how do you test? Well, there's all different testing companies. And there is a regulation in terms of these testing companies. When you deal with a, a company, you can deal with it several ways. You can get a little kit that comes to your house, and you can test it. And they have little strips. Or you can send away and send the water, and it can be tested. When you do something like that, you have to make sure that these companies are certified testers because you just don't know who you're dealing with. So there are many different companies. You know, I looked online. I saw one called New Jersey PWTA testing, one called EMSI. There's a New Jersey testing laboratory, um, RA Data Incorporated. But what you can do as a consumer and a person that's, you know, being proactive, you can call this number, which is 800 426 4791 
It is a safe drinking water hotline, and you can find mm-hmm. in here you can find out in terms of um, which area you're in. You can give your zip code to some of these places, and you can find out uh, which ones near you. You can also visit the www.epa.gov/safewater/labs and find out in terms of location and reliability who's good. Um, you can also go get a little home testing kit at your local home centers, or you can go online. It's the one thing about the internet. You can find almost anything and then you can check and review it. It's like supplements. (laughs) You can go online because there are consumer protection agencies and there Uh are different corporations or like consumers digest, consumer reports, and many nonprofit groups that will give you information in terms of, you know, what's reliable, which, where there have been problems with with certain companies, not to use them, whatever. So that was really interesting, and I will send that info to you to post okay, thank you. later. I thought that was great. And then, of course, we know, you know that there's a real problem with lead pipes. It's not just Newark. All of these pipes were put in how many years ago? It's frightening. It's frightening, and I see there's one particular town in Passaic County where they're constantly fixing their water lines. Constantly there's, there are problems. So it's a good idea. You know, if you're doing tap water, check it. Now, when you start looking at water bottles, that's another story because there is the rule of thought that you test your water. It's free. It's from the, uh, well, nothing's really free. Um, no. It's free. You're paying for it one way or the other. But that a lot of it's very safe because it has to pass certain standards. Not in the case of plastic bottles when you're purchasing bottled water. There's been a lot of emphasis on the um, plastics being used for bottled waters. Um, mm-hmm. One One concept is that you should not freeze the water bottles because you're releasing dioxins, and you never, never should heat it because of the BPA levels. And these are mm-hmm. these different chemicals that are um, BPAs or endocrine, uh, endocrine disruptors. They mimic estrogen, so they cause a lot of issues within the body, in, in the, within the body, and in your genetic makeup. So the research, again, like we always say, there's so many conflicts. Yes, no, maybe so. But from what I've Mm -hmm. seen, majority of the information states that you're not going to have a problem when you freeze plastic. Obviously, you should not freeze it full because it's going to explode. It will expand. The plastic water will expand from a liquid to a solid. But um, most of the companies and nonprofits would would talk about the fact that it's better to get your just make ice ice cubes and put them in a container. Aluminum will eventually have a bitter taste, but they talk about um, stainless steel and aluminum versus plastic being a better thing. And it's easier to keep clean. There's less leaching. You don't have to worry about the particular the, the particulars of the, of the plastics being made by that particular water company. So I thought that was interesting. Isn't so, there a concern a while back about aluminum 
causing like degenerative uh, brain diseases. I seem to remember wow. reading that. Exactly. So they said you could do both of them, but they would prefer the stainless steel. I personally do not like to use aluminum. It does have that taste. Why risk certain things? And this is where you have to decide. You know, each person on their own has to be proactive and decide what's best for them. But I did think it was interesting. They talked about, you know, the BPA found in plastics. And um, many of the studies said that the BPA is found in rigid plastics, such as the five-gallon bottles. Not okay. the single, not the single serve bottles. But as I started researching further, you know, there were other corporations and businesses and studies that said it's best not to take a chance because even if it's a low amount of a BPA, why risk it? And BPAs are released with high temperature, so I wouldn't, you know, if you're not sure of the, of the water. Uh, bottling company, or, the, or and you haven't done the research on it, I would not heat water, whether it be in the microwave, in a plastic, and I really would not put, uh, wa- I mean, a water bottle in your car and extreme temperatures in the car and drink it. Why take a risk? Right. So, um, quite interesting. I did find one study that stated that um, it's it's a uh, an internet site called reviews.com. And if you go on to their site and you, um, you know, further your study, go to bottled water, they review the bottles. And they talk about what they feel is the best, the best water within the bottle and the bottles. And they made their basis on the fact there is no fluoride in the water, that they have, there is a neutral pH, and there is a moderate amount of electrolytes. And uh, this, they basically came up with these three are being the best. The best artesian water is Fiji because it's totally balanced. The best type of cheap water was Crystal Geyser. And the best mineral water is Evian. That's surprising. Evian was among the first, and usually those yes. are, are not the ones yes. that are the best in time. And, and another thing that's interesting is that um, I think some of the other countries, <laughs> to be quite honest, are held to higher standards with plastics than we are. They're right. a lot more careful about the plastics. You know, plastics here have become such a money maker, and any way you can make it as cheaply as possible. Um, the, obviously, that's why when we talked about plastics versus paper uh, paper bags, we we it, we talked about the fact that you know it was so much cheaper, and why corporations and supermarkets went to that. So um, in the end, people have to do their own homework with that. Again, if you're going to um, send your water out for testing, you want to make sure it's lab certified, and it's it's a good idea to again check with the um, government safe water labs site so water it's amazing here you are you're thinking you're doing all the right things and and not that's that's again it's uh thank you for uh, finding all that because uh there's right. lots of computer um and, here and, and, you know I, I think you have to look at your own if you really want to save yourself all the time do 
tons of research on the water you're using presently. And then from there, you can make a decision from there. So look at your tap water. Think about that. If you use a specific bottled water, then look at that one in particular. And that's the best way to start this this whole thing of studying the the water that you're ingesting. And it's not just ingesting because what they consider – potable water or potable water, however you want to say it, is that it is safe for drinking, food prep, cooking, and washing. Because when water is contaminated, every once in a while there's an issue and these townships have to flush the pipes, um, they'll say to you, don't drink it, don't prepare your food with it, don't cook, and do not shower with it. Wow. Um, here in uh, Tenafly, I remember when I first moved here, uh, they had somebody uh, from some water organization, and I discovered that the uh, Tenekil, which at this point is like a brook more than a stream or uh, anything else, uh, but that sluggish, very dirty-looking uh, water goes into ah. our drinking. <laughs> so, really? Yeah, it was an eye-opener. So we, we started using our drinking water less. Uh, uh, we still right. use it for- and for washing, but uh, sure, uh, we don't sure. And that's anymore. what it's about, Hercules. You have to be proactive for the area that you live in and where that water supply is coming. And and if you're using the water bottles, think in terms of that as well. Um, now the air. We're not going to go into all of this as well because we'll touch upon it on on Wednesday because the EPA is looking to got the Clean Air Act by deregulating a major greenhouse gas, which is methane. So we will talk a little bit about that next time. Let's talk about what we can control. And the EPA calculates the AQI for five major air pollutants regulated by this particular Clean Air Act, and that is the ground-level ozone, particle pollution, carbon monoxide, sulfur dioxide, and nitrogen dioxide. And if you want to be more proactive and you want to know how they govern this and and what is the guide to Clean Air Act, you can go to their site, the epa.gov, and they have a plain English guide to the Clear Air Act. So you can find out what is entailed in this Clear Air Air Act and how you can be affected by it, you know, if it changes. But what you can do is control the air quality within your home. Uh, with, with all of this um, insulation and having a tight house and not losing your, your heat, you have to be really careful. You have to, uh, you know, if the house is too tight, you do need ventilation and fresh air. You have to measure the CO2 levels. You should have fresh air in the house, and you've got to watch the buildup of chemicals and products. This is where the uh, problem comes in. They do have air quality tests for home and work that measure the VOCS, which is the volatile organic compounds. And there are different sites you can go to. There's one called um, earther.gizmodo.com and, of course, the epa.gov, the Green Building Advisor. There are things you can do. Obviously, you can have carbon dioxide detectors you Mm -hmm. can use an air purifier and you have to watch for signs of mold and that's easier said than done because it's one thing when it's visible like in basement wall or in the bathroom in the wall but what if it is 
behind the drywall. Right. It can multiply immediately. I mean, it's a very short amount of time before it starts forming mold and and, um, getting dangerous, where you have the black mold. You can get a quality test. And I thought it was interesting that vinegar cleans better than bleach for for porous surfaces for mold. Hmm. White, White vinegar. And I was amazed because they said it gets to the root of the mold and kills it, where bleach will kill it on the top surface. Now, we're talking porous, you know, porous products. Porous surface, okay. Right, right. So, interesting. Very interesting, you know. So, in order to avoid one problem, which is having enormous, gigantic heating bills and using all this insulation and having such a tight home, there is a thing as too much. Somewhere along the line, there has to be a balance, you know. And again, there, that's a matter of being proactive and looking into, you know, researching, like, what are the possibilities? The good thing is when you're buying a home and there's a house inspection, they are much more efficient than they were done 20 years ago. Oh, I'm hoping so because uh, I've heard some horror stories about uh, black mold in ceilings oh, yeah. and ceilings, yeah. and especially the ones connected to the bathroom or to the kitchen. Most definitely, the bathroom is a big offender. You know, if you see any kind of water or it's soft, remove it immediately. And if you're afraid to remove it, research how it can be removed so that it's safe. Because there, you know, mold. I mean, I've known people and and. Um, in the workforce that have been very violently ill, a very close friend of mine, lung problems, lung disease, another one, heart issues. So um, you definitely, if you're in a work situation, you have a union, there are people that are ill with this, you need to talk to your uh, union rep or get enough people to talk to uh, human resources, you have to really look into it. It's not something that you can just poo-poo away. It's, it's dangerous. Right. Uh, so we have, we have water and we have air. I'm going to um, do fire because it's so easy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm not going to get into tonight the issue of all these fires in California and the detriment And that, I'd like to talk a little bit about fire you can control. And that is your charcoal grill. You Uh have to remember the hotter the temperature, the longer cooking amount of time. When you cook meat, notice I said meat, not vegetables, more HCAs Uh are being formed. And that is, the name is, I can't even say, heterocyclic um, um, amines, but basically carcinogens. And what happens is the fat is dripping from the meat. It goes into the coals and the fire. It creates PAH-infused smoke, and it comes back and coats your meat. So that is the issue with the meats. These are carcinogenic. Um, How can you avoid it? There are, or charcoal briquettes also um, in the carbon monoxide, which I didn't know. So what can you do if you really have to have the meat. And notice it's meat, not vegetables. If you, you need to have that, you need to look for charcoal made 100% hardwood, no coal, oil, limestone, or petroleum p- 
products. They say gas or propane is healthier when it comes to meat. But we know in the U.S. of A. that we love our barbecues and that charcoal. (laughs) I know. And again, if you love it, just don't do it all the time. Most of us only do it in the summer. And I, I know virtually nobody that barbecues every day because I remember a friend of mine saying, how do I stay safe with all of these foods with chemicals and cooking procedures and this and that? I said, you have to vary your toxins. You cannot be doing it on a basis where it's continual because then you're not giving your body a chance, your liver a chance to clear things out or your lungs. And uh, Canada is interesting. Charcoal is now a restricted product under the Hazardous Products Act. It mm. must display a label. Wow. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, as we go along, there are more and more studies. We find there are other countries that do things, you know, look beyond the United States studies because it's amazing all the studies that are going on. And now let's get to Earth because this is a big one. Okay. Um, it's always best to buy organic versus the regular store-bought food. Why? Because of the waxes and the pesticides. Of course, it gets cost prohibitive. It's understandable. But your health is a big thing. Now, you say, well, if you have to do buy organic in terms of the most important food. Um, there is a site, it's called EWG, it's the Environmental Working Group, it's a nonprofit. They have the Dirty Dozen listed, and these are the 12 that are the most loaded with toxic pesticides. Yeah. I, and I it's not good, we mentioned this before, it's not yeah. good because they're the healthiest things. One of them, top, the top one, strawberries. Yes. Oh, 90% of the strawberries sampled tested positive for two or more pesticides. Isn't that frightening? That's 90% and of them. Yeah. Oh, spinach and kale come up next. They have more pesticide by weight because spinach has so little, and kale, um, so little um, weight to them compared right. to any other produce. High concentrations of permethrin, which is a known neurotoxin. So that's another one that's best to buy, either frozen organic, which I buy at Green Life. They have a frozen mm-hmm. organic, it's flash frozen, that tastes fresh picked. It's amazing. And um, again, uh, it's best to buy it organic. Number three was kale. <laughs> Because 92% of the samples tested positive for two or more pesticides again. And that's frightening. Uh, 2009 was the last year where it was, they had, uh, the USDA had testing data until this year. And this year, some samples contained over 18 different pesticide residues. And you don't even want to know the chemicals, but 60% of the kale samples had a particular pesticide which is banned in Europe and classified as a possible human carcinogen. Number four, nectarines. Almost all of them contain two or more pesticides. I know. Here's the horror apples. (laughs) 
90% of conventionally grown apples contained pesticide residue. 80% contained diphenyl, oh, I could never say these words, diphenylamine or whatever. It's a pesticide that's banned in Europe again. It has a peel, and the chemicals used in farming can pass through the peel to the flesh. So washing it because takes off the wax. But washing and the waxing still does not prevent it from seeping through the skin, which kind of blew me away because I always thought if you peeled it and washed it with the wax, which I have, you know, the special washer. So that was a little upsetting. So I only buy organic apples now. Uh, six was grapes. Five different pesticide residues. Wow. Seven, peaches. <laughs> Again, like the nectarine. Staggering 99% had pesticide residue. Eight, cherries. 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 I know, I know. Five pesticides detected. One-third of the cherries tested uh, contained a potentially cancer-causing pesticide that is banned in Europe. So you can see, the European countries are a lot more serious than we are here. Number nine, pears. Another yummy one, uh, yes. high pe- concentrations, including fungicides and pesticides. Half of the pears sampled had five or more pesticides. Uh, ten is tomatoes, four types of pesticides. You can find organic canned tomatoes as well as uh, organic regular tomatoes. Number 11, celery, which is a really big thing now because of all the water content in celery. Thirteen different pesticides were detected on some of the samples. Number 12, potatoes. More pesticide residues than any other crop tested by this environmental working group. That's amazing. So that's not good. And then the other one they added as a bonus to the 12, hot peppers. Hot peppers. They chose to add hot peppers this year. Because three-quarters of them had trace residues from highly toxic pesticides. So there you go. And if you want to know which ones are um, not that bad in terms of what you're eating, and you don't have to really buy them organic, they have a list of that. And one is avocados. I'm just going to read the list to you. Two being sweet corn. Three, pineapples. Four frozen sweet peas, five onions, six papayas, seven eggplant, eight asparagus, nine is kiwi, ten is cabbage, eleven is cauliflower, whoopee, twelve is cantaloupe, thirteen is broccoli, well that's good, and fourteen mushrooms, and fifteen honeydew melon. So... Uh, there you go. What you really should do is avoid the dirty dozen and either um, buy them organic or you know, fi- buy them, um, if you can't do it fresh, then buy them organic uh, frozen. Oh. Stay away from canned because what they're lined with, you know, the cans are really aren't good. So um, amazing. You can... Uh, you can get a veggie wash, you know, and use them. I, I do. People need to realize that um, it's not just the ground. You have to watch out for the GMO foods, foods that are being genetically modified, which Europe will not buy our foods because of this. 
uh, processing contaminants. Every once in a while, you'll hear about uh, different groups, uh, different companies saying that there's a recall because there was a problem in the plant when they were processing. And then um, animal drug and hormone residue. Uh, A really big thing is milk. It's really important to be careful with milk because there is a bovine growth hormone that Monsanto makes that goes into a lot of the milk. Wow. Uh, I'm yeah. surprised we all four elements down in the time that we had. <laughs> and, I can't uh, believe it. <laughs> before we wrap up uh, uh, our segment for today, uh, I wanted to announce that we're developing a show about the four elements because I'm there and uh, Astrid is there. So we, oh, we yeah. might as well make a show around it. Uh, so um, I would like to focus on in the show the things that you're currently focusing on. You know, basically what right. is the circumstance? Uh, what can you do? What might you not be able to do without taking some sure. sort of with a glass? And then exactly. if so, what's that's wonderful. And I will say, there's a couple sites that are amazing. That e that that Eating Well site, you know, which is a, an amazing a nonprofit group. I was able to uh, download a PDF file of of the Dirty Dozen with the detail and the Healthy Fifteen. So I mean, there are groups that are amazing that have so much information yeah. out there. And the next time when we do go further on into optimal wellness, I want to get into pharma and how you have to be so proactive with pharma but not just the pharma industry if you elect to use healthy alternatives or holistic alternatives whether it be um, oils or um, certain uh, herbs or vitamins you have to know your own physical makeup meaning your illnesses and what your deficits are in terms of your blood work demand to see your blood test so you can see the numbers and that's how you start that study. And fortunately, the universe has put me in a position where I'm looking at all that stuff. So <laughs> this will be very helpful to me on my personal journey as well as uh, sharing with others. Astrid, thank you very much. Can you send me some links to that? Uh, I have um, a lot, and I will be sending to the, them all to you because they were that informative. You know, the ones that were really informative, I will definitely send to you so that our listeners can take advantage of it and they can decide for themselves what is more important in terms of being proactive in what area, depending on where they live and their health. Um, that is fantastic, and I'm greatly looking forward to receiving it and sharing it. Astrid, you're awesome. I'm looking forward to seeing you on uh, Saturday. Exactly. Um, uh, our adventure continues. Yes, and again, thanks for having this here. So we have a platform to share this, these communications. Yes, and uh, we'll be developing more as we get a clear picture of what we're up against. Definitely. <laughs> have a good night. You too. Take care. Uh, we're going to be listening to Cry Freedom from Bone Poets Orchestra, and then we'll be back with Brian Walker and Sword and Sandals Cinema, which is part of our Mythic Inspiration series.
Greetings, this is Hercules Invictus, and welcome back to Voice of Olympus, um, our show about living Greek mythology. And uh, one of the places where Greek mythology lives most powerfully uh, during the course of our lifetimes is in the peplum movies of the 50s and 60s, uh, and some occasionally more uh, recent. And the master of those movies is Brian Walker of Brian Stryven Theater, a veritable shrine uh, to the peplum genre and other B-movies. Greetings and welcome, Brian. How are you? I'm fine, Hercules. How are you this evening? I'm doing incredibly uh, awesome. <laughs> oh, I'm glad to hear it. And you know what? This is my favorite time of year. The fall? It is. Uh, three of my favorite uh, holidays, uh, you know, just one right after the other, uh, Halloween, which is not really a holiday, I realize, uh, Thanksgiving, and, you know, the, the Christmas season. And, you know, having um, Halloween uh, kick off, um, and to tell you the truth, Halloween's probably probably my favorite of the three. And uh, although that might it might seem a little incongruous to uh, talk about Halloween and peplum, um, there are a number of peplums that have a lot of uh, horror overtones in them. Yes, there are. And uh, Halloween is my spe- favorite holiday as well. Uh, my wife and I liked it so much that we got married on Halloween. So Halloween is also our wedding anniversary. <laughs> well, and that's perfect. You'll never forget it. No, I won't. And yes, I agree with you. There's a lot of uh, Peplum uh, movies uh, that uh, uh, have horror elements and uh, uh, very effective horror elements uh, as well. So uh, uh, I, I look forward to this uh, guided tour of them. Oh, fantastic. Um, well, uh, you know, uh, the, you know, the peplums were, you know, largely, uh, you know, uh, an invention, uh, of the Italians, but I don't know how much, um, Italian horror film that you've seen over the years, but, uh, I gotta say some of the Italian horror films are among my favorites and, uh, have seeing a marriage of the two genres, uh, is really interesting. Um, when you're looking at uh, some of the peplum. One of my favorite uh, horror directors uh, is an Italian director by the name of Mario Bava. Um, yes. Did, he, he did a number of horror films over the years. In fact, he did some of my favorite horror films. Uh, one of my favorites is a film called uh, Blood and Black Lace um, with Ava Bartok and uh, Cameron Mitchell. Um, it's a fantastic film. But if you go back in and look at his filmography as a director, he also directed Black Sunday with Barbara Steele, uh, Eric the Conqueror, Planet of the Vampires, which um, it's not the greatest movie on earth, but stylistically um, it's fantastic. The visual is wonderful in it. And, of course, he directed uh, a film that we're going to talk about tonight, which is uh, Hercules in the Haunted World with Reg Park. And that's a famous uh, film. Uh, it's had several names, but it inspired Arnold Schwarzenegger to become a bodybuilder and an action hero. So uh, it's it's a historic movie. It is. And uh, Mario Bava uh, actually started out as an artist, and his father had been a cinematographer <clears throat> in silent films, and uh, he later followed his father um, into that line of work in the 1940s. 
And if you look at the films that he worked on as a cinematographer, um, it's very interesting. Uh, he worked on the original Hercules with Steve Reeves, uh, Hercules Unchained, The Giant Marathon. Uh, so he, you, um, his visual style is, um, you know, present in those early peplums, the, the ones that you know, we watch now and, and consider sort of the beginning of the genre. And uh, I, I just think it's fantastic that, you know, uh, he, he became known a little later on as a horror director, but he did, um, you, his career did really start with a lot of uh, peplums, especially when it, came, when it comes to direction and cinematography. Uh, yes, he did. He did have a very distinct uh, style. And uh, I remember uh, being much younger, it's the style uh, that, uh, uh, you know, basically, I wondered because I'm not a credit reader. Uh, my wife is, but I'm not. So it was the style of the movies that led me to believe this might be the same. Uh, uh, somebody in charge had to be in common. And that's how I, I came across uh, Dino Bava and learned about him. You know, I never thought of, I, I've never heard that phrase before, but I really like it. You, you said that uh, your, your wife was a credit reader. You know, I think I yeah. am too. <laughs> Um, but but it's fun to see, you know, if you're watching a certain genre of movies and if you appreciate certain elements of them, you, you'll be interested in finding out, you know, who the director was, uh, who the cinematographer was and who's producing these movies, um, you know, whose vision of, of, of the story are we seeing uh, on screen and um, going back to Mario Bava, he had a visual style. He used, I always thought he used lighting very well. Yes. Um, and he, you, know, he, he almost always, uh, in directing, he almost always used color, but in a sense, the lighting techniques that he used almost seemed as though they came from film noir. And uh, the lighting itself was almost as important just as the set as a backdrop. Yes, very good in contrasts and uh, in the type of mood that like a black and white movie might uh, set, but uh, with color. Very distinctive. Right. It was. And he also used um, – you know, he he wasn't just using you know a white light. He would use like a red light or a blue light or a green light in order to uh, you know set the scene, advance the plot. Um, he, he was very creative with it, and uh, uh, as I said, he's one of my favorite directors. And you know, in terms of just the artistic vision, you know, and the way the the films were set and shot, uh, he was a genius. He he really was. And that's that's probably one of the things I like most about Hercules and the Haunted World. Um, so much of you know uh, Hercules's descent into hell is lighting. Mm-hmm. I mean, so much of it to the uh, to the point where um, you know the set is almost secondary. Uh, the lighting is just so well done. Yes, I, I agree. It, it becomes. Uh... Um, kind of like a, a lot of the literature about the underworld is very shamanic. You, you don't quite know how much is an inner journey as much of, as an outer journey. Uh, and uh, he handled that very, very uh, well. 
even though it was physical in the film, uh, the mood of it and the events that happened in it and the lighting and everything uh, made you, it was very trippy. So you can imagine it being a psychological yeah. drama unfolding. And, and, and that, that's an excellent term to use. It, w- it was very trippy. And if you think about it, you know, you, none of us really knows um, what hell looks like. And I thought his vision of it was, I, mean, I, hate it. I hate to put it in these terms, but almost beautiful in a way. Yes, it was very mythic. It was very archetypal. It was very storybook. And there again, you know, lovingly shot. And uh, you know, from from the audience's standpoint, uh, the buy-in uh, you know, is so easy, but just because of the lighting alone and you know what he accomplished with that, it's a great story too. Yeah, yes, it is, and I like uh, I like the different interpretations of uh, Hercules. And Reg Park always had like a uh, he was like almost a flippant. He liked taking his naps. He liked, uh, you know, doing some of the the simple uh, things. And while he's handling these mythical tasks, um, even though he does react to it, uh, part of him returns to being relaxed uh, throughout his ordeals. Yeah, and I, you know, I would agree with that. Um, you know, you'll you'll catch him stretching or yawning in some scenes, and uh, you're right. He he is more of a relaxed Hercules. Uh, than let's say uh, you know Steve Reeves uh, or um, you know who was you know, the archetypal Hercules. Yes. But and I I do like the, the the take that he took on the character. I mean you know uh, there's only one Steve Reeves and there's no point in doing an impersonation of him. You need to put your own spin on it. And I guess mm-hmm. he, he realized that early on that you know. You, you, Impersonate you know, doing an impression of somebody or doing an impersonation uh, just wasn't going to work, and uh, you know, bringing you know, some of his own characterization you know and personality um, uh, to the character I, I thought was really in a way brilliant. Uh, yes, I, I like that about Alan Steele uh, or Sergio Chiani, uh, his birth name. Uh, he his. Uh, um, Hercules was almost like a cheerful Hercules. He had like a devil may care attitude about him, which and, made and him if, good in comedy, you know. And if you notice, uh, in a lot of Alan Steele's movies, I mean, he's got a, almost a, a perpetual grin. Yes. And he, he he does seem to be very happy to be there, which is great. I mean, you 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 want your your lead to be. You know, charismatic, and uh, how better to do that than to have you know, kind of a smiling countenance. Um, and uh, lately, as you know, I've uh, basically created a couple of uh, Facebook groups. One of them uh, was mostly my idea to uh, record my workout, uh, to post inspiring images and information uh, because I love the uh, peplum genre. Uh, and also to draw attention to the uh, uh, fandom that's going around uh, the peplums. And uh, I'm using your site very heavily um, to uh, point to to particular pages, you know, before I share like IMDb and other type of uh, Wikipedia information. Um, And uh, you have a wealth of information uh, there, and it's a great starting point for, you know, for building on. 
And I'm hoping that this uh, draws people to, to visit your site more because it's an excellent uh, site. I would say it's a, an online shrine to, to the movies of that era, uh, not just the peplum. So uh, um, I'm experimenting. If you have any ideas, I'd be very open to them. Well, and you know, I really appreciate hearing that. And you know, the biggest reason that I built the site was to you know help people appreciate, you know, expose them to uh, you know, different films, different actors, uh, different titles, and you know, uh, as much as I've talked about Mario Bava, um, you know, the different actors, or, or I'm sorry, the directors as well. Uh, there's a lot to appreciate in these films, and yeah. Um, I, I'm I'm so excited to see that people are not only you know, still interested in them, but we're bringing in some new people as well. There's a lot to recommend these films. Um, you know, they, they have fantastic casts. Uh, in many cases, there are like hun- hundreds of extras. You know, in, in some of the scenes, and that's something that you would only have now in like a hugely budgeted picture. These films were, you know, mostly shot on on, on a strict budget, uh, and would probably be almost impossible to film now. You know, given uh, you know a similar budget, and everyone and was it would speaking. Be kind of- Different languages too, so and which later had to be uh, you know redubbed, uh, but that's amazing too that these people couldn't communicate directly with each other for the most part uh, as well. And, and you know if you think about it, that must have been so hard. Yeah. Um, because you know, you I mean I, I'm I'm certainly not an actor, but you know, in order to you know, stay with the story and you know, keep the emotional intensity up. If you can't understand, you know what your co, what your co-star uh, is saying in a particular scene, that must have been really difficult. That had to have taken some real talent, um, and uh, that's something that Gordon Mitchell you know, talked about frequently was um, how the films were shot and why they weren't uh, shot in you know, one particular language. And one of the reasons was that, of course, these were international casts. They had, um, you had Eastern Europeans, Italians, uh, French, Americans, and you know, kind of everything in between. Also, um, one of the major studios uh, in Rome was located very close to the airport, and apparently it was in a flyover zone and interrupted um, you know, the sound you know, fairly often. So it was almost a foregone conclusion that movies from that studio were going to be dubbed, mm-hmm. which, I find, which, which I find amazing. I mean, couldn't you move the studio <laughs> – you know, a few miles north or something like that, so you couldn't hear the airplanes. But it's what they had, and it's what they ran with, and they were going to have to dub it anyway. Because, I mean, how many different languages uh, were these films dubbed in? For example, um, right now, uh, on the, I, I've got YouTube up on my television, and I'm watching um, a, I believe it's a French version of Medusa versus the Son of Hercules with um, Richard Harrison. Uh-huh. And in, ter- in terms of mixing uh, peplum and horror, I always thought that it was one of the most effective movies. 
you know, the, the Medusa monster in it is genuinely creepy. I can still remember the first time I saw this movie, which, which was many, many years ago, being you know, uh, very creeped out by it. Yes, that, that is a creepy uh, monster. Uh, and again, they had limited budgets and they didn't have uh, the animation that we have uh, today. Uh, but growing up and watching that, I remember that was scary. It is, and you know, it's not just. I, well, I hesitate to say that it's not a rubber monster because it might be, but the way that it's shot, and just the overall look of it, I mean, it's creepy, and I don't think that uh, any amount of CGI could really do any more justice uh, to that characterization than what you see on the screen. Very, very true. Um, and it's amazing. It's a, it's a story about uh, Perseus, who in, in Greek mythology mm-hmm. slew Medusa. And uh, here he's a son of Hercules, and in the midst he's a grandfather of Hercules. <laughs> you have like, uh, it's like uh, uh, Hercules and Ulysses. Uh, they made Hercules oh, the he... son of Hercules, uh, where it was actually Hercules in the original film. And, and then Samson and Machiste and Atlas and Ursus, and often it's uh, the same movie. Uh, under different titles for different places at different uh, times. So it all gets very surreal. Um, uh, I recently posted something on uh, Alan Steele's, one of his cowboy movies about the lost city mm. of the Incas. It's also the lost city mm-hmm. of the Aztecs, which is also Hercules in the, in the uh, lost city or Samson in the lost city. So yeah, they're all the same movie, uh, but, but just uh, dubbed differently and marketed differently. And that's another beauty of these films, too. Um, and you, if you think about it, uh, I mean, I'm not well-versed in a lot of different languages or anything, but you know, having you know, different dubbed versions and you know, with the uh, versions that you know, Americans saw in the 60s, oftentimes, you know, a, a, as you know, the, uh, the Hercules character name was just grafted upon a movie uh, – where the character was originally Ursus or Machiste yeah. or you know, maybe is Samson, you know, some, something else of that nature. But since, uh, you know, the two Steve Reeves Hercules films had been so popular, they just grafted that name on, you know, to so many uh, of them. Uh, it would be interesting to see um, the different versions in different languages, especially if you were, if you were conversational in those languages to see the differences in the story, just from the fact that they had been dubbed in different languages. And I'm sure that's the case. When I was uh, very young and going to Greece, I would catch uh, movies uh, that were American made uh, or in English. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, I would look at the Greek subtitles. And I could read the Greek subtitles, and often it's like that's not what they're saying. That's not what the movie was about. But uh, for most of the people in the audience, they don't know. So whatever the subtitles were uh, telling them, that's what the movie became about for them. And I'm sure the same thing happened with dubbing because uh, there's all these uh, standards, you know, that have to be met in different places, like um, movies uh, that are. Uh, in Europe are usually more risque than the versions that we get here, especially the ones that are on Very television. true. So uh, well, they, they, they could have been different movies altogether. And a friend of uh, mine who, who passed away about uh, eight years ago uh, spent a summer in Italy, and he kind of you know, 
worked his way through Italy that summer by dubbing films. And he, he kind of gave me some insight into it. Uh, and of course, you know, um, no matter what the storyline is or what the original dialogue was, you know, as long as that actor's mouth is moving, you have to put words into it. Right. So they would, they would oftentimes use, you know, like, <laughs> like five prepositional phrases you know, strung <laughs> together just to keep it going. Or, you know, sometimes they would, you know, put in, you know, different bits of dialogue that, I mean, there, there's no way you can get around it. It would change, you know, the, the meaning of a scene or, you know, you know, the context of a scene in relation mm-hmm. to, you know, the rest of the film. And it's just interesting. It would be interesting to see, you know, the different spin based on, you know, the different language. And, and you know, and from from uh, that language characterization as well, you're probably um, dubbing it, since you're dubbing it for an American audience, you're probably dubbing it for their sensibilities as well. Yes. It's like uh, uh, getting outside of the peplum, uh, Paul Nashi werewolf movies. Those were oh, radical. Lo- love him, yes. <laughs> in their European uh, um, uh, iterations, and they were in the American ones. And uh, y- y- I was surprised when I first saw them in the, the European editions uh, how much had been cut from the American editions. Well, and you know, we, we tend to be, um, yeah, even today, I, I would. I dare say we're uh, more prudish than our European counterparts. Yeah. Um, and, and, and you're quite right. And, and Paul Nashi, I mean, I, I love his movies. And, and some of them were uh, admittedly terrible. <laughs> but yes. uh, I've got so it's many fun. of them archived on DVD, and they're so much fun to watch. They really are. And I, I was so sorry when he passed away uh, several years ago. Um, it, I, I hadn't realized he'd been ill, and uh, you know, for a couple of days, I was kind of heartbroken when he died because he's always been one of my favorites. And you know, you would see him in um, in movies that were sold in the syndication packages here in the states, as, and as you said, they were cut to ribbons, um, and sometimes didn't make a whole lot of sense because there were missing scenes and the dialogue didn't quite match up. Um, but but his films were always just eminently watchable, very much fun. Yeah, they were. And uh, the the werewolf uh, uh, movies. I'm a big fan of werewolf movies. My wife is too, fortunately. Yes. So uh, uh, every few months we watch werewolf movies together. Well, I've been watching a string of horror films. Um, I, I haven't had a whole lot of time uh, this fall. Um, uh, you know, work life's been pretty complicated. Uh, personal life has been even more complicated. I had, and, you know, uh, my mother-in-law passed away um, on the 1st of, of September, and that's why I wasn't able to, um, you know, uh, appear on The Voice of Olympus on September 2nd. Uh, so it's been kind of a crazy, um, you know, fall semester for me. And I'm teaching this semester, which is which makes it even more complicated. But I've tried to, uh, you know, add some normalcy uh, to my fall, and I've, I've made it a point to try to watch at least one horror film per night, which is difficult because sometimes yes. I don't get home until eight o'clock or eight thirty or something like that. 
um, my um, student uh, workers uh, all got together and got me a couple of DVD sets for my birthday, which was back in August. Oh, awesome. And I hadn't had a ch- I hadn't had a chance to even you know take the plastic wrap off of them. And one of them was uh, Creep Show Two, um, which I think it was came out in '86 or '87. I had seen the original Creep Show from the early '80s, but I'd never seen the sequel. And I, I got to tell you, I didn't really have high hopes for it. Um, but the cast looked interesting. Uh, it had George Kennedy, Dorothy Lamour was it her last film. Um, and uh, Lois Childs, who was in uh, Moonraker, she's one of the Bond girls in that. Mm-hmm. And she was also uh, Jordan Baker in The Great Gatsby, the 1974 version with Robert Redford and um, Mia Farrow and Bruce Stern. Uh, so uh, we popped that in uh, last weekend. And it's, it's uh, a series of uh, horror vignettes. And the last one just blew me away. It's uh, it, it's, it's with Lois Childs, and uh, if you haven't seen it before, uh, take a look at it. It's really interesting. She uh, is driving home after a tryst with a male prostitute, and she's trying to get home before her uh, lawyer husband gets home, so he won't figure out what she's been doing. And she hits a hitchhiker on the way home. Ooh. And the hitchhiker keeps reappearing, you know, as she's driving home. She thinks she's killed him, you know, after the first time she hits him. Um, but then he, you know, jumps on top of her car and tries to get in, you know, to her through her sunroof. Uh, and at first she's terrified by his presence, and later on she's just extremely pissed off by it, and she almost <laughs> takes the light. In hitting him again and running over him back and forth, uh, it, it's it's very American, <laughs> but uh, it, it, it's, it's fascinating so. to watch. Now, I we have in the past had horror specials. I haven't done any in a while, uh, but since we share passion for horror movies uh, uh, as well, um, I will check which uh, weeks we do that on on the fifth. Uh, week of the month. I don't really schedule it solidly uh, and leave that open for experimentation and the development of new shows and, and so forth. Uh, so uh, if you're interested, uh, next time I have a slot, uh, I'll let you know what the dates are. If you're available, uh, we could do a horror uh, special. Oh, that'd be perfect. And um, I've, I mean, I, I like all genre films, uh, tell you the truth i can't think of a a genre that i don't really care for uh horror that's up there uh, you know close to the top for me i've always loved horror films um i had uh very indulgent parents you know as a child they took me to see well they liked horror films too and they took me to see every horror film that was out and it might have been like a good a-list horror film like the exorcist or uh-huh. it might have been a, like a B-list horror film like uh, The Abominable Dr. Fibes or you know, something of that nature. At any rate, we, we pretty much saw them all. And you know, to this day, I, I have very fond memories of watching old horror films either at the drive-in or the theater or even you know staying up all night and watching a horror syndication package. Uh, 
it's, it still kind of warms the cockles of my heart. It really does. Yeah, same here. Uh, my wife is a big fan of the Universal Monsters. Uh, so instead oh, of, me too. In, in addition to our Greek mythology stuff all over the place, uh, we have like areas with uh, Universal Monsters. And uh, I'm a big fan of uh, Sword and Sorcery. Uh, the uh, Conan films and their imitators. So we have a bunch of that floating around as well. Well, a couple of years ago, the um, the Universal Horror um, series uh, they had they released a um, Blu-ray set with select uh, restored um, Universal Horror monster movies. And before that, they had done them. Um, they, they had released uh, different DVD sets based on the type of movie. Like they had a Frankenstein set, yes. Dracula set, Wolfman, and so forth. I wish, I, I know it'll never happen, but I wish they would go back and do all of those films as Blu ray and restore them. The, the, the restoration that they. Well, as as it gets cheaper and as it gets easier to do, maybe they will. The restoration work that they did on uh, the original Dracula is stunning because, you know, back in the day, every every copy that I would see of that it was kind of hard to hear. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, there was a lot of there was a lot of static in the soundtrack. Um, passages were muffled, and. However, I don't know how they restored the soundtrack to it, but it's a different film, being able to, to hear it with that kind of clarity. The picture quality it just blows me away. I mean, it's stunning. Um, and to see it, and you know, if you think about it, that, that was very early on in the sound era. You know, so the source material couldn't have been that great. I don't know how they restored it. But what, whatever um, magic they used to, to restore that soundtrack turns it into an entirely different film. Wow. I, I have to quest for that now. Yeah, uh, and um, you, the, I think that DVD set came out. It's the Blu-ray. It came out about three years ago, and uh, they've done you know, a, a marvelous job with all of them, but I always thought that Dracula was the hardest to hear. Donald uh, Glute, uh, he's a uh, um, a writer of comic books, graphic novels, and other uh, pop culture. Uh, he recently um, did a story which was uh, an artist uh, um, who's in our groups, by the way, um, did the art, but it's Machiste versus Dracula. And uh, the art oh, I've seen wow. is really great, and it, it, it picks up the flavor of uh, horror and peplum uh, mixed together very well. Uh, and there's a continuing series. I don't know when the other entries are going to uh, um, be. Michael Gallego, I believe the uh, uh, artist name is. And uh, I, I'm looking forward to future installments. I'm trying to track down a copy of the magazine. Couldn't find it on Amazon or eBay yet. Uh, so I continue to quest. Well, you know, when I was prepping uh, for uh, our talk tonight, I discovered uh, a hole in um, in my film collection. I did not have a copy of Goliath and the Vampires with Gordon Scott. And I don't know how that escaped me. I I would have sworn that I had it. Um, 
But uh, hidden in my website, I've got two lists of the DVDs that I own. One are uh, purchased copies of DVDs, and the other is uh, a listing of DVDs that I have made from you know, whatever sources. Uh-huh. And I, I could have sworn that uh, we had burned a copy of Goliath and the Vampires, and uh, we haven't. I mean, it's, I, I checked uh, you know, the, the archive downstairs in my family room, and it's just not there. So I ordered a new copy, but it's not going to be here until, I think, tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, maybe we can talk about that uh, when we do talk about horror films. And I, I just can't. I mean, Gordon Scott's one of my favorite actors, and I can't believe that I didn't have uh, one of his films. I have so many of them, uh, too. Uh, some of them still on VHS that uh, I often lose track of what I have. And uh, uh, I discover every now and then, it's like, how, do, how don't I have this? I had, you know, I'll find a copy that I had on VHS, but a lot of my old VHS have so degraded at this uh, point after so many years. Um, so th- then the quest begins anew. And then if you look on Amazon and uh, um, eBay and places like that, uh, every now and then it'll pop up inexpensively. Every now and then it'll pop up for a ridiculous amount of money. And you just got to keep looking mm-hmm. until it pops up. Uh, you know, that, that's been my experience. That's true. Now, the copy that um, I ordered um... – I got it. I ordered it from Amazon, so uh, it got pretty good reviews. So I'm hopeful that it's uh, widescreen and doesn't have a whole lot of negative scratches in the print. <laughs> uh, we'll see, though. But um, out of all the the uh, peplum actors, you know, Gordon Scott, I mean, he's he's right up there as a favorite. Uh, I always enjoyed his performances. He did a little bit of everything. Yeah, as you know, he was uh, you know the the first Tarzan to do a color film. I thought mm-hmm. his last two Tarzan. I thought his last two Tarzan films were were probably the best. You know, of the bunch, they were they were you know, fantastically um, produced. Um, he even did he did a you know western or two. He did some Eurospy. You know, he did just a little bit of everything. And he did a, he did more peplum than anything else, uh, obviously, and, he, and he's fantastic in them. But I, I just, like I said, I just couldn't believe that I was missing one of his movies. I was sure <laughs> I had it too. I, I don't know what happened there. Um, you you never know. It's happened to me too that I order something that I've been looking for and that I don't think I have, and then like a day, a week, a month later, I'll stumble across. Uh, a copy and I basically just misfiled it or put it in the wrong uh, box. Uh, Brian, our, our time is up already. Thank you uh, for this stroll down cinematic uh, memory lane. I enjoyed myself very much. I learned a lot and I'm looking forward to our next uh, uh, conversation. How can folks enter your world and visit your shrine to swords and sandals? Okay. Uh, you can go to Brian's drive theater.com and uh, if you want to message me, the best way to do that is through Facebook, and you can uh, run a search for Brian's Drive-In Theater, and you will get to my Facebook page, and it's open. Thank you again so much, and I'll talk to you very soon. All right. Thank you, Hercules. Good night. Good night. Uh, we're going to listen to Brent Kidoria's King of Dreams, and then we're back with Bill Hinburn of Super Strength Training.
Greetings and welcome back to Voice of Olympus. Today is our optimal wellness special mixed with some inspiration from the sword and sandal genre. Our next segment is physical culture with legendary Bill Hinburn. Uh, Bill is the founder and CEO of Super Strength Training, which has preserved uh, much lore from times gone by um, in the bodybuilding era. And that is my dog, Sophia, uh, who is trying to get my attention. Greetings and welcome, Bill. How are you? Just fine. Say hello to Sophia for me. Hi, Sophia. Bill says hi. (laughs) (laughs) So how have you been? Good. And yourself? Uh, Great as well. Um, And uh, I recently went to, uh, for my uh, physical, and they found that my blood uh, was a little bit out of whack. So I'm playing with diets again. Got it down uh, 50 points. Uh, So I look forward to getting it back within normal range uh, within the next uh, few weeks. Um, Other than that, experimenting with different uh, workout routines, trying to keep it fresh, trying to keep my body confused, uh, and at the same time, climb that learning curve. (laughs) So I'm having a lot of fun. There you go. Yeah, that was interesting. I was listening to uh, Brian and yourself uh, talking about uh, Gordon Scott and the old uh, Peplum uh, Hercules movies. Mm -hmm. Interesting stuff. Yeah, very interesting stuff. Um, so what is new in the world of super strength training? Oh, there's just a variety of different things. Things are always changing, you know. Um, uh, things always go in a cycle, you know. What is the old uh, French saying? Uh, uh, the more it changes, the more it stays the same. Yes, you I, know? I've heard that. That's very true. <laughs> you know, eggs are good today. They're bad tomorrow. Milk is good today. It's bad tomorrow. You know, red meat is good, red meat is bad. Um, the same holds true with uh, uh, eating any number of things. I'm finding that a lot now. Uh, last time my uh, sugar was out of control, uh, I went on uh, what's popularly called the uh, um, high-protein, high-fat diet or the Atkins diet or the so – you call it a number of names, but – uh, essentially, oh, yeah. you limit your carbohydrates and you eat a lot of meat and uh, um, fat. And uh, I was eating steaks and all sorts of things. And uh, when I went back, uh, they asked me how I lowered my uh, triglyceride levels and things like that. And I told them by eating fats. And back then, uh, that was a controversial thing to do. Now, uh, uh, people are more aware of those type of uh, methods. Uh, but still, there's a lot of polarization. There's the uh, the ketosis uh, crowd with the high protein, high fat, and then there's the uh, uh, vegetables only crowd, and those seem to be the big camps. Like we polarized as a nation politically, um, we have this in the uh, dietary community uh, too, and both of them are uh, both sides have doctors proclaiming studies and uh, uh, case histories, and yet they contradict each other totally. So uh, I'm trying to wrap my brain around it and. Find what works for me for now until it doesn't work for me anymore. It's interesting you say case studies. You know, uh, if you want to get somebody's attention, you know, st- you know, start out with uh, you know studies have shown or case studies. Case mm-hmm. studies, C A S E. That means copy and steal everything. <laughs> 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 but seriously, um, it depends on who's paying for the study, and it depends mm-hmm. on what agenda uh, someone is is uh, trying to push as far as diet. Okay. 
nutrition, uh, food, and what have you. You know, people will look at uh, other people and say, well, why, why don't they eat like I do? Why don't they eat right? You know, well, two things, and they're connected directly. One, it's a matter of economics. Yeah. You know, if you're in a poor, uh, if you're in a third world country, you're lucky to get anything to eat, much less be choosy. I once talked to the great John Grimmick, who uh, trained during the uh, uh, 1920s and the 30s, you know. And I asked him, uh, you know, what did you eat? What, what was your diet back then? He says, anything that didn't crawl off the plate. <laughs> he says, times were tough. He says, getting enough to eat. It was a matter of uh, quantity, not necessarily quality. Very, very and true. Of course, and, of course, uh, availability. Mm-hmm. You know, we've, we've talked about that. And, yes, we uh, have. We've talked about that in the past. Um, and the doctors now, will tell you, you know, they'll, they'll switch back and forth from time to time. Yeah, I was uh, I was surprised that uh, the uh, person, uh, the doctor that I saw recommended the Mediterranean diet. Now, I'm Mediterranean uh, and uh, in uh, my heritage, so I'm familiar with the Mediterranean diet, but the Mediterranean diet that I grew up with, which was around the time where they you know, were making these uh, studies about how healthy it was, uh, is nothing like they're describing it. Uh, so I'm trying to reconcile the Mediterranean diet. Is, it's, it was actually practiced in the Mediterranean uh, as opposed to the Mediterranean diet of today's uh, uh, books. Uh, and like, for instance, uh, when I was growing up in a Mediterranean household and visiting the Mediterranean, um, bread was considered the staff of life. So you ate tons of bread with everything. And that came out of the World War II uh, mentality that things were scarce. So if you ate bread, it would fill you up. So all the rest of the stuff was basically stuff to supplement the bread that you're eating. And they would saturate the bread with tons of olive oil and oregano, and they usually eat a piece of cheese with it. And that was kind of like the staple meal. And then the rest was just like appetizers that you had with your steady meal. And then you have to ask yourself, what was that bread made out of compared to the bread today? Right, right. They did. But yeah, have, I'm, uh, I'm a big believer in olive oil. I think olive oil is far yeah. better than butter. Me too. Um, I believe in olive oil. Uh, the bread was, I'm sure, healthier than the breads we have here. And since it was wartime, uh, they used chickpeas sometimes. Sometimes they used seaweed uh, to make the bread. So you know, there were, sure. there were anything that they could make into a flour became the bread. Absolutely. Now, one of the uh, other questions that uh, I'm wrestling with right now, and I've had different things work at different times, uh, so maybe you can expand uh, my mind with some more options, is in order to get big, do you need to consume more uh, calories? And if so, uh, what would you suggest, what type of calories would I be experimenting with? Well, Just first of all, you're... What is your definition of big? Um, I want to gain some of the size I had when I was younger, if I can. Size. It doesn't muscle make any difference size. if it's muscle or fat, right? No, mus- muscle size. Not <laughs> I'm <laughs> kidding with you. Uh, here. 
you want to get big, but you want to maintain definition. Uh, correct. At the uh, same time, can't be done. Okay. Can't be done. And here's and here's why. If you want to get big, pay pay close attention. In the gym, use heavy weight, four or five sets, four or five reps. Okay. You're talking okay. heavy weight. Okay. Use half a dozen different exercises, the compound exercises, press, bench press, deadlift, squat, uh, curls, okay? Okay. Now, when you want to get big in size, okay, you're going to naturally, if you're exercising like that, you're going to need a tremendous amount of calories because you need energy, okay? You need fuel. Okay. That's the size, okay? So you're going to eat a lot. You eat wholesome food, no garbage. Meat, fish, uh, potatoes, vegetables, whole milk. Now, Milk is a controversy. People will say, oh, well, the, the fat and milk and the cholesterol and all that. That's, that's for, for really a, another discussion. Okay. Now, if you want definition, continue on with this exact same routine exercise-wise. In the kitchen is where... The definition is created. In other words, cut out all pasta and bread, carbs. Okay? Okay. I would even suggest cutting back on potatoes. Okay? Bread and pasta will put on the fat. Okay? Remember, you went to the doctor, okay? And you were Mm -hmm. following the classic so-called Atkins diet. Okay. Yeah. And that diet in itself says do not eat any carbs. Okay. There's a lot of meat, fish, and so on. A lot of fat. And that in itself will give you definition. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cutting out the carbs. But you see, here in America, carbs are integrated in every uh, traditional uh, food, diet, what have you, okay? Uh, when, mm-hmm. Especially when you go out to eat, so in Italian food, you got pasta. <coughs> you know, Chinese food, you have uh, uh, rice and what have you. Although I would have to say from a vegetable standpoint of view, uh, the Chinese food probably has it on the, uh, on the Italian food. But that is key. And and the thing people fail to realize is breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Okay? Bar none. If you skip any meal of the day, make sure it is not breakfast. You always eat breakfast. Why? Because you haven't, you know, you let's say you go to bed at 10 o'clock at night and you get up at 7 o'clock. Okay? Mm-hmm. Well, you haven't eaten for nine hours. 
They call breakfast that for a reason. It's break fast. You break the fast, the fast that you've had for nine hours. You haven't eaten anything. You haven't consumed anything. You've got to get yourself going in the morning, and the best thing to do is eat a good breakfast. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to eat the same thing all the time, okay? You know, you can eat fruit, a bowl of fruit. Eat something. Something has to be digested, okay? Uh, I recommend uh, the juice of a lemon. I'm not a big fan of the uh, of the fruit juices simply because there's a tremendous amount of sugar in them. Yes. You know, people say don't don't uh, uh, consume uh, uh, soda. Okay, even diet diet soda diet soda is even worse for you. And and the fruit juices are bad for you as far as sugar goes. So I say take a fresh um, lemon, squeeze it into water, a glass of water, and drink that. Coffee's all right. You know, people beat up on coffee, and then you know, and then they'll say, "I, I had." As a matter of fact, I had one, one doctor who says, "Well, you should only drink two or three cups of coffee a day." The doctor I have now, she says, "You can drink it till it splashes out of your ears." You know, it's, it's fine. You know, no problem. So That's another you believe, you know? thing. I just researched coffee again last week. Every now and then I do that because I like my coffee, and sure. I cut my coffee down to a couple of cups a day, not because you know for health reasons, but because. Uh, um, you know, I was drinking phenomenal amounts of uh, coffee, and I didn't want to do that uh, anymore. Um, but there, too, it's contradictory. Uh, if you have diabetes, drink coffee, lots of coffee. It's good for you. If you drink diabetes, don't drink coffee at all. It's horrible for you. So, so again, totally contradictory information. So I'm just going to play with it and look at my blood sugar numbers. Uh, like I'll increase it for one week, and I'll decrease it for another week until I see what effect it has on me at this particular point in time. And then I'll go with that. Right. But what you eat, what you consume, does have a profound effect on on your uh, on your on your physical health, which, of course, is common sense. And taking that into consideration, exercise or lack of has a profound effect on your physical well-being. You know, there there are a number of uh, of uh, studies done. You know. Every hospital uh, 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 on the Internet, uh, the Mayo Clinic, uh, you go to any of these, and they will always, always talk up exercise as being very important, especially for senior citizens. Now, a very good friend of mine is doing a bone study, building Mm -hmm. up bone strength, okay? Now, when you're talking about training, people will say, okay, how do I get big? I don't get strong, definition, muscle, that sort of thing. Okay. Muscle is only one part of it. There's also bone, cartilage, tendons, and so on. Well, he's been doing a study with uh, a local university, and they've been taking x-rays. And he's been doing something that's very comparable to isometrics. You know, he'll put the bar in uh, in a power rack, and he'll uh, 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 try to press it. Okay, and and uh, he's essentially pressing against, you know, total resistance. There's no movement whatsoever, and he does the same thing with like a squat. He does the same thing with a deadlift. Same thing with a curl, and so on. All compound movements using 
a number of different muscles. And over months and years, you know, and he's, uh, by the way, he's uh, uh, around 40 years old. His bones have increased in density. Just with the um, compound movements. Yeah, that's the only type of uh, strength training he's been doing. And he's been getting stronger. You see what I'm saying? Yes. And he's doing it. He's doing it with nothing but a bar, okay, a long bar, and uh, a power rack to provide him with. uh, You know, you can you can put it on the pegs, and and uh, you can line it up and adjust it for resistance in a particular location. And uh, I think that's profound. I've never heard of anybody doing that sort of thing. You know, he was he was he just happened to stumble across the idea. Somebody was toying around with it, but uh, he went to a major uh, 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 hospital, and uh, it's all free. You know, it didn't it didn't cost him anything. I saw the X-rays, and they give you a complete readout, and I thought that was just <laughs> that's just amazing. You know, he says it's you know, and he says by the way, you think it's easy. It's not. It's probably the most brutal uh, uh, training I've ever done because you're locked in for, you know, X number of seconds and you're giving it all you got. You know, years ago, uh, especially around 1960, you know, and that's uh, 60 years ago, uh, uh, isometrics came into popularity. I remember. You know, and that was a passing, you know, I hate to say the word fad, but it's it's a good method of training for what it's designed for, okay? Um, but that gives you an idea of what can be done. But the whole thing is, it's like anything else, you have to stick with it. Consistency. Yeah. You know, people will get uh, uh, into a training program, and they'll have their heart in it, and they're de- dedicated, and they're reading about it, and they're measuring this and measuring that and watching their food intake. And then, oh, God, they're lucky at the last two or three months. And they're back to their own their own ways, you know. Mm-hmm. But that is one thing that I thought was, uh, was pretty interesting. Uh, many of the uh, power lifters, weight lifters, bodybuilders, what have you, they have, they have a wide range of different eating habits, okay? Some of it is based on uh, their ethnic backgrounds. Say, for example, they're Italian or, like yourself, Mediterranean. Um, some people are from uh, uh, rural area farms, you know, stuff like that. A lot of it depends on what they, what their families ate traditionally, you know. And, and uh, a lot of it has to do with what they do for a living. If they have a very very physical job or if they have a sedentary job uh, this all plays into uh, you know what what they're doing but it's important as you age as you probably well know uh, to have a I have a semi semi-annual checkup I see a doctor every six months not because I have to but because I want to and he recommends it and uh, it's good that you do that, you know, that you do that. 
I have known people in my lifetime that hadn't seen a doctor in 20 years. I can't imagine anybody doing that. But that's their business. You know, so uh, as far as getting back to your question, you can't, you know, bulk up in size and maintain defined muscle at the same time. Okay. Because when you're eating, you're eating those extra calories. You want to make sure that you have enough calories for the energy. If it spills over, you know what the body's going to do. They're going to store it. What is that? That's fat. But when you get to the size that you want, that's when you wring out the fat. And again, bread, pasta. (coughs) And you can eliminate... Uh, or at least cut back on the whole milk. Whole milk has a lot of calories when you're looking at it purely from the calorie standpoint of view. Milk was one of the ways I got diabetes. <laughs> I had read that old-time lifters yeah. were drinking like a gallon of milk uh, a day. Oh, yeah. Was, I was lactose intolerant. It took me a good year plus to be able to drink a gallon of milk a day and uh, yeah. also eating six oranges. Um, so I was doing that and I was making tremendous gains and it was awesome, uh, uh, until the day when it wasn't. And then I started crashing. I, uh, I fell down stairs a couple of times and uh, that's when I was diagnosed with the uh, diabetes. So, um, not all, uh, ancient or even, uh, um, old style ways of uh, getting big are healthy. Uh, I learned that lesson uh, very effectively <laughs> by doing that. Now, did you uh, did you have to go immediately on the uh, on pills or or intravenous injections? Um, no, on pills. Uh, and again, they put me on pills uh, again, but I don't like being on uh, pills. So uh, I've gotten my blood down like fifty points uh, since I saw the doctor a couple of weeks ago. So I have no doubt that uh, if I continue just diligently watching what I eat and I exercise anyway, um, that. Uh, um, it, within a short period of time, I'll have it back under control again. I've done it before. I'll do it again. Then you can do it by diet, right? Yeah. I'll, I take the medications Great. in the beginning, uh, but right. then once I get back to like a normative uh, range, I start weaning off the medications. And I'll, I'll do this Great. with a doctor's provision, uh, but this way within – because some medicines, you can't be off them right away. You'll get a very bad effect. Uh, right. So – yeah, but I, I make it clear from the beginning that unless something's life-threatening, I'm not going to stay on medication. Right. I, I that you're very, very, very lucky that uh, 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 the diabetes that you have is is uh, can be controlled by diet. It, it is feasible. Some people they don't have that luxury. You know. Yes, that's true. Uh, I knew a fellow. In fact, he lived across the street from me, and he was uh, he's a famous chef. He has a restaurant and what have you. And my gosh, he was like about five eight, five nine, and he weighed about three hundred pounds. And uh, he was a full blown diabetic. I mean, he's on the needle. You know, there was just, mm-hmm. you know. So, and he was only in his thirties. So the doctor told him. At least I get the impression. Probably told him. I have no, no proof probably told him, look, you're going to have to lose that weight or you're not going to be around much longer. You know, just uh, probably the best best piece of advice he ever got. Well, how does a guy do that 
when he's around food all the time. Right. Well, he had that procedure with the uh, with the stomach, you know, where they where they go in and I, I'm not really liposuction or. Uh no no they where you uh, they do something with your stomach. Stomach stapling or. Yeah, something like okay. that. It was it was a procedure where they go in and, you know, it's. Uh, you you know you, you you simply can't eat. You just don't have the appetite because, you know, you, your stomach just isn't. Uh, uh, you know, it's it's been altered. Right. Well, anyway, he went down to about after the dust settled, probably around 165, 170 pounds. Okay. Wow. This is over a long time. Okay. And this didn't happen mm-hmm. overnight, naturally. But my point is. He's not on any insulin at all. That is great. Yeah, and that's the only time I ever heard of that ever happening. I said, "You got to name is Zachariah." I said, "Zach, are you kidding sugar. me? Are you kidding me?" And he said, that- "No." He said, "Even surprise the doctor." But uh, yeah, and uh, and then this has been about two years, and he has kept the weight off. And that's remarkable that's in itself awesome. because I've known other people that have had that procedure, and uh, <laughs> you go back to your wicked, wicked ways, you know, and uh, you know they gain a lot of it back. But no, he's—I bet he—I bet he doesn't weigh 180 pounds, you know. That—that that is awesome. Yeah, yeah, yes, it is. But that's—that's uh, that's what it's about. And I, I tell people, you know, uh, about the, you know. Uh, <clears throat> because the major question I get, how do I get big and strong, okay, but I want to maintain definition? Well, you can't do both at the same time. And I strongly suggest that you get the strength and the size that you want, and then you want the washboard abs, you do that in the kitchen. You know, you can do 500 sit-ups, you can do 1,000 sit-ups. doesn't make no never mind. It doesn't make any difference. It's like, what are you doing with your arms, you know? I want my arms to get bigger. Okay, I want my arms to get defined. So I'm going to do 500 curls. You ever hear of anybody? I'm going to get, I want my arms defined. I'm going to do 500 curls. Nobody no, I never heard that. that. <laughs> no. And so uh, there you go with your abs. Why are, you, why are your abs any different? Okay. The only muscles that are have a different personality if you want to go um, as far as repetitions, are your forearms, okay, and your calves. And the reason your forearms and your calves need that more repetitions or what have you is because they're a dense, uh, they're dense muscles that are constantly being used, okay. For example, your fingers have no muscles, okay. Your fingers have tendons, okay? Your hands have only one uh, one muscle, and that's the one that controls your thumb, okay? okay. That's the only muscle that's in your, in your uh, hand is the one that controls your thumb, which is very strong, okay? But the rest of the muscles that control your fingers and control your grip and what have you are all in your forearm, and they're connected by tendons, okay? And, mm-hmm. and and the same holds true with your calves because you do a great deal of walking, and those 
those calf muscles are constantly being worked, okay, constantly, okay. Not worked to the maximum, but they're constantly worked, okay. Your arms aren't like that. Your arms are usually at your sides or if you're doing any 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 type of work, it's very, you know, it's a very limited time range, and then it stops, okay? But you can be, you know, writing, you know, with a pen, or you can be typing, you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Now, people get carpal tunnel at a keyboard. Yeah. And that's why uh, there's different positions that you're supposed to lie your wrists on a pad or what have you to to relieve that so you don't get carpal tunnel. Carpal, carpal tunnel is inflammation of the tendons from repetition, constant repetition, the same movement over and over and over and over again. And uh, a lot of times surgery is suggested. They go in and they uh, slit the, uh, the sheath that is around these tendons to give relief. <coughs> but for all practical purposes, uh, for the abdominals, you know, you've seen, my gosh, you probably grew up with uh, uh, boys and girls. You could see their abs, okay? Yeah. They were kids when you were in grade school. And you say, how do they do that? You know, I mean, and, and they have no more interest in, uh, no interest in, uh, you know, doing any special exercise or anything like that. It's it's hereditary, you know. Uh, and so, you know, they, they haven't stopped growing yet, and they can eat anything they want, and they do anything they want. You know, the, the activity is enormous. They have the, uh, the uh, 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 what is it, the uh, uh, type of, of digestive process of a blast furnace, you know. Okay. Uh, and and uh it, it just uh you know, they they can they consume everything without any problem. Well, you stop growing and you get to that point and then uh then you have to start being careful because uh you, you know, you get into your twenties and uh thirties and most certainly forties and you start uh, you know, you you start gaining uh you know, additional muscle fat and stuff like that. But if you do exercise any type of exercise doesn't have anything specific the most important thing is to continue doing the exercise you have to be consistent that's the most important thing and you know you you get up and you scratch your head and you say well i really don't feel like doing this well then don't do this do that (laughs) do something different even if it's going for a long walk even if it's doing push-ups even if it's doing chin-ups, do something until you get your head together and decide what you want to do. Don't overthink it. You know, like I call that analysis paralysis, you know. Analysis paralysis. I like that. Uh, our journey is coming to an end for today. Um, how can people access uh, your world and contact you, Bill? They can go to the Internet. They can type in www superstrengthtraining.com and on every page you know after you read the uh, home page and what have you and you can look at the product page you can look at uh, my history and what have you uh, I strongly suggest that you sign up for my free daily uh, 
newsletters that give you a great deal of training information, history. Uh, I discuss things like we just discussed. And a matter of fact, you know, sitting across the table from somebody, and that's what uh, I do. Just type in your name, type in your uh, email address, and uh, hit subscribe, and it'll be on, on your way. And I highly recommend uh, those uh, newsletters. I look forward to getting them, and I sometimes share snippets uh, on uh, Facebook. Uh, so I highly recommend that uh, to everybody. Uh, now, uh, Bill, I'm doing a lot in my town, and if you have a flyer that you could send me over a PDF, uh, I'll gladly uh, print some out and keep them on the tables uh, when I'm doing things just so people can uh, learn about you in that way as well. Sure. I'd be happy to do that. Before we close, uh, are there any last minutes of wisdom that you can offer to our listeners? Consistency. Whatever activity that you're doing, be consistent. As far as diet, stay away from sugar. That's probably the biggest suggestion I have. Stay away from hydrogenated, um, uh, hydrogenated oils. Those are very bad. Okay. They're in everything. Uh, stay away from high high fructose corn syrup. That didn't exist until the 1950s. The wheat today, the wheat today is different than the wheat back in the 1950s. It has been augmented to produce a uh, a, a bigger yield, and it is far different. That's why you have so many people with. Uh, uh, allergic reaction to it. That's my advice for today. Thank you, sir. Always an honor and a privilege and uh, very enjoyable. I look forward to our next uh, conversation. Absolutely. Say goodnight to Sophia for me. Good night, Hercules. I, I definitely will. Good night. And thanks to all who've tuned in. Um, this is uh, Hercules and Bill wishing you joyous journeys and amazing adventures uh, until uh, next time. Be well. for listening to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network. Join us seven nights a week for exciting programming covering a variety of expressions of faith. And remember, all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer a hand clapper a high fiver I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.